Good morning. <clears throat> sure looks like a, it's going to be another fine day at the Pioneer Bible School. Sure appreciate Brother Jim telling us it was Thursday. I thought it was Friday. <laughs> another fine day at the Pioneer Bible School and... Are we prepared to do God's will? A careful examination of the lives of the kings of Israel and Judah can be very profitable. We can see the reasons for their successes and failures, the virtues and faults of their reigns, and the effect, E-F-F-E-C-T, the effect each king had upon the destiny of the nation. These kings had an effect upon the destiny of the nation. From such a such a study, from such, from such a study, we should be able to gain greater insight into human weakness. And avoid the many pitfalls which brought the kings of Israel and Judah down. Many pitfalls on the way to the kingdom of God. There's a lot of them. Many pitfalls. Let's turn to 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 9. <clears throat> First Kings chapter 11, verse 9. And the Lord was angry with Solomon. And Solomon was a very wise man. But the Lord was angry with him and he had a reason. Because Solomon's heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared to him twice. And uh, if I remember correctly, I think this was in a dream, two dreams. And had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods. Here we have King Solomon, and I'm sure you've read Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Look at this. And had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods, but he, Solomon, kept not that which the Lord commanded. Wherefore the Lord said unto Solomon, For as much as this is done of thee, and thou hast not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded thee, I will surely rend the kingdom from thee and will give it to thy servant. Notwithstanding in thy days, I will not do it for David thy father's sake, but I will rend it out of the hand of thy son. 
Solomon's son. How be it, I will not rend away all the kingdom, but will give one tribe to thy son for David my servant's sake, and for Jerusalem's sake, which I have chosen. Now let's skip down to verse 28. And the man Jeroboam was a mighty man of valor. And Solomon, seeing the young man, that he was industrious, he made him ruler over all the charge of the house of Joseph. And it came to pass at that time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem that the prophet Ahijah, the Shilonite, found him in the way and he had clad himself with a new garment, and they two were alone in the field. And Hajai coughed the new garment that was on him and rent it in twelve pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, Take ten pieces, for thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will rend the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon, and will give ten tribes to thee. And look at verse 38. This is the prophet still speaking to him. <clears throat> this is God speaking through the prophet to Jeroboam. And this is important right here. And it shall be, if thou wilt hearken unto all that I command thee, and will walk in my ways and do that is right in my sight to keep my statutes and my commandments as David my servant did that I will be with thee and build thee a sure house as I built for David and will give Israel unto thee. Did everybody see that? Read that. And I will for this afflict the seed of David, but not forever. Solomon sought therefore to kill Jeroboam. And Jeroboam arose and fled into Egypt. And was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. The first king of the northern kingdom of Israel left an indelible mark on the history of God's Ecclesia. He became known as Jeroboam who made Israel to sin. Who made Israel to sin. Few men have been given the opportunities presented to Jeroboam. You remember that verse 38? Do we realize what God has promised this man? He was going to make him a king like David. Few men have so abused these opportunities. He was chosen by God as a man with the potential to lead Israel away from the idolatry of Solomon and back to the faithfulness of David's reign. He must have possessed great potential 
For God promised him a sure house long before he became king. Long before he became king. However, these promises, just like the things that are promised to you and me, were conditional upon faith and obedience that Brother Jim is talking about in his class. It was conditional upon faith and obedience. And these qualities were soon to be put to the test. And sadly for Israel, Jeroboam was found wanting. Jeroboam fled into Egypt to escape Solomon. And there he must have become familiar with the gods of that country. Upon the death of Solomon, he quickly returned to Israel, anticipating the fulfillment of the prophecy that was presented to him by, I can't say that today, A-H-I-J-A-H, I can't say it. Let's go on. He remembered that prophecy when he was down in Egypt. And when, when Solomon died, he returned. Jer Jeroboam was an industrious and capable man, endowed with the ability to lead men. Despite his long absence, he immediately resumed the role of negotiator for the discontented amongst the ten tribes. And from this position as of leader of an influential minority, he rapidly advanced to become the champion of the people and their popular choice as king. Let's, let's turn to the 12th chapter, verse 26. And we're going to read here about Jeroboam's lack of faith. At this time, he's king of the ten tribes. Rehoboam, Solomon's son, he's the king of Judah. And look at this. He forgot about the promises that God made to him. Jeroboam said in his heart, now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. And why did he think this? Verse 27 tells us. If this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord, he should have let the people continue to go to Jerusalem to sacrifice. Then shall the heart of this people turn again unto their Lord, even unto Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they shall kill me, and go ahead, go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. And look back at verse. Look at back at verse thirty-eight. Now he remembered that prophecy about him becoming king, but he didn't remember this, or he didn't have faith. He didn't believe it. He took things into his own. My will, not thy will, be done. Verse thirty-eight. And it shall be if thou wilt hearken to all that I command thee and will walk in my ways and do that 
is right in my sight to keep my statutes and my commandments as David my servant did, that I will be with thee and build thee a sure house and will give Israel unto thee. Jeroboam didn't have faith. He didn't believe that God would do what he would do, what, what he said he would do. So he took things in his own hands, just like Saul. Let's see what Jeroboam did. Verse 28, chapter 12. Whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto the people, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, the two calves. These brought thee up out of the land of Egypt, and he set the one in Bethel, and the other put he in Dan. And this thing became a sin, because look what the people did. The people went to worship before the one even unto Dan. And he made a house of high places. He picked his own priests and made priests of the lowest of the people, which were not of the sons of Levi. And look what else he did. And Jeroboam ordained a feast in the eighth month, on the fifteenth day of the month, like unto the feast that is in Judah, and he offered upon the altar. So did he in Bethel, sacrificing unto the calves that he had made. And he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places which he had made. So he offered upon the altar which he had made in Bethel the fifteenth day of the eighth month, even in the month when he had devised of his own heart. You see that verse right there? Praise he had devised of his own heart and ordained a feast unto the children of Israel. And he offered upon the altar and burnt incense. The apostasy of Jeroboam demonstrates, if you want to write this down in your notes, a complete absence of faith. Complete absence. No faith at all. In Ernie Glass terms, no faith at all. And is directly attributable to his ambition to retain power over his subjects. He wanted to retain power over the people under him. His idolatry, tampering with divine appointments, all resulted from this singular motive. And he has gone down in history as the man who initiated a religious system in Israel that finally destroyed it. Don't forget that. Jeroboam has gone down in history as the man who initiated a religious system in Israel that finally destroyed it. Solomon introduced idolatry into Israel. And he was responsible 
for the division of God's kingdom. And we read that just a while ago in that 11th chapter. Jeroboam initiated a religious system in Israel that destroyed it. 2 Kings 17. I think Brother Bill read this in his first class. 2 Kings 17. We'll just look at a couple of verses. 21 through 23. Second Kings 17, verse 21. For he rent Israel from the house of David. And they made Jeroboam the son of Nebat king. And Jeroboam drave Israel from following the Lord and made them sin a great sin. Sin a great sin. And listen to this. For the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam which he did. Do you see how important it is? Leaders have a tremendous amount of influence on the people under them. For the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam which he did. They departed not from them. Do you remember our class on Joshua? He had a good influence on the Israelites. Not Jeroboam. He caused them to sin. His leadership. Until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he said by all his servants the prophets, so was Israel carried away out of their own land to Assyria. Now, why did Solomon... Jeroboam and so many of the other kings of Israel and Judah fail. Why did they fail? Deuteronomy 17. Fourteen through twenty. Deuteronomy 17, 14 through 20. When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, and shall possess it, and shall dwell therein, and shalt say, I will set a king over me, like as all the nations that are about me, Thou shalt in any wise set him king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose. One from among thy brethren shalt thou set over thee. Thou mayest not set a stranger over thee, which is not thy brother. He shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to the end that he should multiply horses. For as much as the Lord has said unto you, ye shall henceforth return no more that way. Neither shall he multiply wives to himself. That his... I'd like to say one thing about uh, Egypt and horses there. Egypt, uh, we know that uh, it represents 
world or darkness and sin. And horses are, are a sign of military strength. And the king was not supposed to put his trust in armies or might. He was supposed to put his trust in God. Now back to the wives here. Neither shall he multiply wives to himself, that his heart turn not away. Neither shall he greatly multiply him to himself silver and gold. Now we're going to get to what he was supposed to do right here. And it shall be when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book out of that which is before the priests, the Levites. He's supposed to write him a copy of the law. And it shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to keep all the words of this law and these statutes to do them. And look at verse 20. That his heart be not lifted up, up above his brethren, and that he what? Turn not aside from the commandment. Look at that. He was supposed to make a copy of the law. He was supposed to keep it with him. He was supposed to read it all the days of his life. Verse 20. That he turn not aside from the commandment. Now. Works or fruits reflect what is in the heart. Brother Jim's been talking some about this. It is sobering to reflect upon the fact that as God recorded the works of the kings of Israel and Judah, so he is also recording our works. Now we have read, we heard last night what David did. We've heard this morning what uh, Solomon and Jeroboam have done. And it is sobering, S-O-B-E-R-I-N-G, sobering to reflect upon the fact that God is recording our works. The final assessment of works will determine whether or not our name is found recorded in the book of life. If there are sins unrepented of and therefore unforgiven, if there are works of the flesh that testify to an evil heart of unbelief, and what did the works of Jeroboam do? They testified that this man had an evil heart of unbelief. Do our works testify of the same thing? If they do, then the divine condemnation will be recorded therein as it was for every wicked and unfaithful king of Israel and Judah. Brothers and sisters, <clears throat> on the other hand, if the judge finds a record of worthy deeds, worthy deeds being the fruit of a good and righteous heart 
characters reflecting his own character in men and women who consistently repent of their sins and seek forgiveness and their utter... Wait just a minute. I want to say this right. Characters reflecting his own in men and women who consistently repent of their sins and seek forgiveness, confessing their weakness and their utter dependence upon the mercy and strength of their Heavenly Father, then the divine assessment will be one of commendation as it was in the case of only a few, F-E-W, a few kings of Judah. Only a few. Okay, there's another man I want to talk about this morning. The man of God from Judah. is one of the most tragic figures to emerge from the pages of God's Word. The man of God from Judah burst on the scene at Bethel during the great inaugural ceremonies marking the establishment of Jeroboam's new religious system. Did you get that? The man of God burst on the scene at the inauguration of Jeroboam's new religious system. We read that just a while ago. When he set up that new religious system. He was specifically sent from Judah to represent Yahweh in a special way. He was to enact Yahweh's position in relation to Jeroboam's religious system. The man of God was going to show the people of Israel how God felt about Jeroboam's new religion. That's what he was going to do in Ernie Glass's words. I think that's correct. And he was going to declare its doom. He was the divine messenger sent to Jeroboam to reveal that Yahweh had disfellowshipped him for his apostasy. Nor was he to give the impression he was not to fellowship Jeroboam by eating and drinking with him. Now remember this. Nor was he to give the impression that he often journeyed into Israel, being specifically commanded to return by another way. He was the divine messenger. I'm going to repeat that. This is important. He was the divine messenger sent to Jeroboam to reveal that Yahweh had disfellowshipped him for his apostasy, his new religious system. He was not to fellowship Jeroboam by eating and drinking with him, 
nor was he to give the impression that he often journeyed into Israel, being specifically commanded to return by another way. In the presence of the idolatrous king, the man of God performed his task well. For he had no sympathy for Jeroboam or his ways and was able to resist the attempt made by the king to compromise his stand and to detract from the prophecies of the man of God. However, when confronted by one of his own kind, a man who shared his opposition to Jeroboam's idolatry and was so desperate to converse with someone of a similar attitude to himself that he could lie concerning an angelic visitation, the man of God forgot. He forgot his original commission and turned back to eat and drink with the old prophet. Let's turn to 1 Kings chapter 13. 1 Kings chapter 13. Verse 1. And behold, there came a man of God out of Judah by the word of the Lord unto Bethel. Remember, uh, Jeroboam... He instituted uh, two altars at Bethel and Dan. And Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. And the man of God cried against the altar in the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus saith the Lord, Behold, a child be, shall be born unto the house of David, Josiah by name, and upon thee shall he offer the priest of the high places that burn incense upon thee, and men's bones shall be burned upon thee. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord hath spoken. Behold, the altar shall be rent, and the ashes that are upon it shall be poured out. And it came to pass when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God, which had cried against the altar in Bethel, that he put forth his hand from the altar, saying, Lay hold on him. And his hand, which he put forth against him, dried up, so that he could not pull it in again to him. The altar also was rent, and the ashes poured out from the altar, according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. And the king answered and said unto the man of God, Entreat now the face of the Lord thy God, and pray for me, that my hand may be restored me again. And the man of God besought the Lord, and his king's hand was restored him again, and became as it was before. Look at verse 7. And the king said unto the man of God, Come home with me, and refresh thyself. And I will give thee a reward. And the man of God said unto the king, If thou wilt give me half thine house, 
I will not go in with thee. Neither will I eat bread nor drink water in this place. For so was it charged me by the word of the Lord, saying, Eat no bread, nor drink water, nor turn again by the same way that thou camest. So he went another way, and returned not by the way that he came to Bethel. I'm going to tell you what. You know this week how I've been talking about being prepared to do the, do God's will? Right then, that man of God was prepared to do God's will because he did it in this instance right here. Verse 11. Now there dwelt an old prophet in Bethel, and his sons and came and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. His words which he had spoken unto the king, them they told also, also to their father. And their father said unto them, What way went he? For his sons had seen what way the man of God went, which came from Judah. And he said unto his sons, Saddle me the ass. So they saddled him the ass, and he rode thereon, and went after the man of God, and found him sitting under an oak. And he said unto him, Art thou the man of Judah that camest from Judah? And he said, I am. Then he said unto him, Come home with me, and eat bread. And he said, I may not return with thee, nor go in with thee, neither will I eat bread nor drink water with thee in this place. For it was said to me by the word of the Lord, Thou shalt eat no bread nor drink water there, now turn again to go by the way that thou camest. He said unto him, I am a prophet, also as thou art. And the angel spake unto me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with thee into thine house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied unto him. In the presence of the idolatrous king, the man of God performed his task well. For he had no sympathy for Jeroboam or his ways and was able to resist the attempt made by the king to compromise his stand and direct from his detract from his prophecies. The man of God, he did God's will. When confronted, however, by one of his own kind, a man who shared his opposition to Jeroboam's idolatry, and was so desperate to converse with someone of a similar attitude to himself that he could lie, Concerning an angelic visitation, the man of God forgot his original commission and he turned back to eat and drink with the old prophet. As they were dining and doubtlessly, avidly discussing matters of mutual interest, the spirit moved the host to condemn his valued guest for disobeying the mouth of Yahweh. 
The man of God should have known that the word of Yahweh changes not, but standeth sure. The deception practiced by the old prophet was in essence no different than the attempted blackmail by Jeroboam. Certainly its effect on the outcome of his mission was the same. For the man of God died by the hand of Yahweh and was publicly buried in Bethel. An event that would not have gone unnoticed by Jeroboam and probably accounts for the final words of the king in 1 Kings 13, and don't look it up, we don't have time. After this thing, Jeroboam returned not from his evil way. In other words, with the death of the man of God, Jeroboam, being the faithless man he was, could feel free to continue his apostasy. As far as he was concerned, the prophecies against his system had been negated by the death of the man of God. Now, for just a few minutes, we want to look at the, at the old prophet of Bethel. Samuel was in, instrumental in establishing the schools of the prophets, and he traveled yearly the circuit through Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah. And there was a school in Bethel where this old prophet lived. One of the remnants of this school possibly could be this aged prophet in chapter uh, 13 here. Evidently, his sons were present at Jeroboam's festival and witnessed all the proceedings. They told the aged prophet all about it. The aged prophet must have been in agreement with the man of God from Judah, and evidently the aged prophet was anxious to be with someone of like precious faith. He was anxious to be with someone of like precious faith. The aged prophet found the man of God sitting under an oak tree. The man of God had delivered a message to Jeroboam that required faith, courage, and strength. He had been alone except for the invisible God, and he had delivered his message, and as God had commanded, he was returning home, and he was probably tired and hungry, and he was probably lonely, and he probably realized that his words spoken against Jeroboam had fallen on deaf ears. We must never forget how weak flesh is. Brother Jim's been telling us that this week, how weak flesh is. Especially when we must stand alone. I'm talking about being without the support of other humans. God had promised to never leave us or forsake us. Why is it so difficult to remember it? Remember this. Why is it so necessary if we have the support of God that we have to have the support of man. Why is that? It's a weakness that we have. In a moment of weakness, the man of God failed to obey the commands God gave him, just like Jeroboam. The man of God was proficient in speaking the word and delivering divine commands, but he failed 
to perform the demands made upon him. See, when he was talking to Jeroboam, he was telling Jeroboam what to do. Well, when the old prophet told him what to do, which was not right, the man of God failed. The man of God was proficient in speaking the word and delivering divine commands, but failed to perform the demands made upon him. He was also quick to disregard a direct command from God in favor of an indirect command given by the aged prophet. And what, to, what happened to him? He met a violent death. He was killed by a lion. The man of God became a symbol of Jeroboam and of Israel. He had set out to obey, to do God's will, but under trial, he turned back from Yahweh, he turned back from God, and God became a line unto him. Can we apply this to our times? Can we? Do we have any Jeroboams in our body promoting false, false beliefs? He was so successful in promoting false beliefs that he developed a new religious system in Israel. Now think about this. i tell you what, we've got only just a few minutes here, about four minutes. I'm going to stop here. And if you brothers and sisters have any spare time, if you want to, Look back over this material about Jeroboam and uh, the man of God and the old prophet. Maybe reread some of those verses. It's a very, it's an interesting uh, incident. Very interesting. And tomorrow, when we take up class, we'll uh, we'll consider if if we do have any Jeroboams and if there are any uh, Jeroboams in our body promoting. Uh, False beliefs. Is there any uh, questions or any comments that anybody wants to make? Harry? It's interesting to listen to about and read about the man of God when this other prophet came unto him and said, Well, now God has told me for you to come to me. We can see that out in the religious world so much now. These people say, God has told me to ask for your money. And people just blindly give it to them. It's a good point. Any other comments? If not, oh, Bob. There you went about First Kings eleven one. Touch on that. It's a drop thing. It goes right along with what you had in Deuteronomy. Okay, eleven one. Yes, please. But King Solomon loved many strange women, and uh, let's see if you go down to uh, verse two. Of the nations concerning, and he lists the nations here in verse 1 and says, Of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, Ye shall not go into them, neither shall they come into you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. And look at this last phrase here. Solomon clave unto these in love, 
And it says in, at the end of verse 3, they turned away his heart. And if you look at verse 5 and 6, look what Solomon did. For Solomon went after Asterisk, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Amorites. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the, the real bad thing he did is in verse 7. Then did Solomon build an high place for Shemos, the abomination of Moab, in the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon. And likewise did he for all his strange wives, which burnt incense and sacrificed unto their gods. And I took up there at verse 9, you can see why God was certainly angry with Solomon. Any other comments? That's a, that's a good a good point there, Bob. Dan? In 1 Kings 11, 33, where it says, Whomsoever uh, he would, he consecrated him and he, he became one of the priests. The marginal reference, instead of consecrated, says, filled his hand. In other words, Jeroboam was selling the priesthood. Right. That's another good comment. Anybody else have some more good comments they'd like to make. Okay, then we're dismissed. We'll take this up. Take this up tomorrow.